It is common when speaking of the divine happiness to say that God is infinitely happy in the enjoyment of his self, in perfecting, beholding, and infinitely loving and rejoicing in his own essence and perfection. And accordingly, it must be supposed that God perpetually and eternally has a most perfect idea of himself, as it were, an exact image and representation of himself ever before him and an actual view. And from hence arises a most pure and perfect act or energy in the Godhead, which is the divine love, complacence, and joy. The knowledge or view which God has of himself must necessarily be conceived to be something distinct from his mere direct existence. There must be something that answers to our reflection. The reflection as we reflect on our own minds carries something of imperfection in it. However, if God beholds himself so as thence to have delight and joy in himself, he must become his own object. There must be a duplicity. There is God and the idea of God. If it be proper to call a conception of that, that is purely spiritual an idea. If a man could have an absolutely perfect idea of all that passed in his mind, all the series of ideas and exercises in every respect, perfect as to order, decree, circumstance, and for any particular space of time past, suppose the last hour, he would really to all intents and purpose be over again what he was that last hour. And if it were possible for a man by reflection perfectly to contemplate all that is in his own mind in an hour, as it is at the same time, that is, there in its first and direct existence, if a man, that is, had a perfect reflex or contemplative idea of every thought at the same moment or moments, that that thought was, and of every exercise at and during the same time that that exercise was, and so through a whole hour, a man would really be two during that time. He would be indeed double. He would be twice at once. The idea he has of himself would be himself again. Note, by having a reflex or contemplative idea of what passes in our own minds, I don't mean consciousness only. There's a great difference between a man's having a view of himself, reflex or contemplative idea of himself, so as to delight in his own beauty or excellency, and a mere direct consciousness. Or if we mean by consciousness of what is in our own minds anything besides the mere simple existence in our minds of what is there, it is nothing but a power of reflection to view or contemplate what passes. Therefore, as God with perfect clearness, fullness, and strength understands himself, views his own essence, in which there is no distinction of substance and act, but which is holy substance and holy act, that idea which God hath of himself is absolutely himself. This representation of the divine nature and essence is the divine nature and essence again so that by God's thinking of the deity must certainly be generated. Hereby there is another person begotten. There is another infinite, eternal, almighty, and most holy, and the same God, the very same divine nature. And this person is the second person in the Trinity, the only begotten and dearly beloved Son of God. He is the eternal, necessary, perfect, substantial, 
and personal idea which God hath of himself, and that it so seems to me to be abundantly confirmed by the word of God. That is the first portion of an unpublished essay on the Trinity that was written by Jonathan Edwards, who was in the Second Great Awakening. I want to tell a story today, uh, as I've been accustomed to doing these podcasts, and we're really just going to unpack some really phenomenal uh, and hopefully just uh, revelatory ideas you know, with you today. Um, first off, I one night, uh, we were in, let's see, Monroe, North Carolina, Kara's parents' house, Billy and Jana Hofstetler, and it was the evening, and everybody went to bed, and I was listening to reading J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. And uh, in the book, J.I. Packer, he says, hey, uh, I really want to get a revelation of the Trinity. And I'm sitting there reading that, and I'm thinking, you know, I want to get a revelation of the Trinity. And if J.I. Packer said, you can ask the Lord for one, then I'm going to ask him for one. So I get down on my knees uh, at this little couch, and I, I just said, Lord, I want a revelation of the Trinity. And so uh, I go to bed that night, and now it, we're in a second floor, kind of a um, upper room, but it's it's one of those rooms that has knee walls in it, and meaning that the walls on the side, they go up about four to five feet, and then they cross into the ceiling. And the bed has, it's the, the headboard is backed up to uh, the wall, and above the bed is this uh, window. It's one of those circle windows, you know, they'll put in, uh, the gable end of houses and it has they're called lights and windows but it's like the plastic that they put inside of the window like you'll have two pieces of glass and they'll put uh, this white strip in the window it kind of makes it decorative and so there's this window above the bed and so I fall asleep you know hey Lord I want a revelation of the Trinity and Somewhere in the middle of the night, like just out of nowhere, uh, I'm what I'm just startled. I, you know, just waking right out of my sleep, and and I'm looking in front of me. Now this window is above my head, high above me, and the moon had come in and shone into that window. And in front of me, facing the other wall, are three lights on the wall that are shining on the wall in front of me and they have a cross in all three of them. They're perfect three circles of light right in front of me. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me and he says, um, this section, it comes out of James one seventeen. He says, I hear the Holy Spirit say, uh, James one seventeen. he says, the second part of it, he says, that cometh down is speaking of the good gift and every perfect gift that comes down from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom is no variable nor neither shadow of turning. And, and he said, so we emanate from a source of light and he's, and we are three persons in one. And you see why there can be no variable or shadow of turning. I'm like, Yes, if there was the slightest little variableness to you, God, or if there was a shadow that was affecting this, it would turn in such a way that there wouldn't be a perfect three persons. Uh, 
And then he says, what is our central feature? Well, because of the cross that's in the, uh, in the light itself, there's three crosses shining inside of these three lights. And, uh, and I said, the cross. And he says, yes, because we love to love. We love each other perfectly. And right, at, right in this encounter, all of a sudden, the moon and the earth changes its angle and the three lights are gone. Now, this is all in a space of probably 30 seconds. And I knew it to be a revelation from God. I'd heard the water, you know, the liquid, gas, and uh, ice principle and things, and it just sort of broke down. But this here was, you know, really profound to me because it was the moon's light source hitting the window at just the right angle. Woke up at just the right moment that I saw these three circles and that they all had the cross at the center. And so this became a, an experience for, for me about the Trinity. Well, this next week, uh, I'm in, you know, spending time in prayer and, um, you know, learning from the Lord. And, and I come across what I read to you about Jonathan Edwards' uh, unpublished essay that he wrote on the Trinity. And I remember, you know, just sitting before the Lord in prayer, uh, which was what I've been accustomed to, you know, you know, sometimes six to eight hours a day in worship and the word and spending time with the word. And I, I remember sitting there uh, reading this and I said, Lord, I'm trying my best to understand what you're trying to say. And I, and I want to say this. It was like just in a moment, my ability to perceive things just shifted. And from the, from that day forward, this it just like happened to me. But I was able to perceive, I would say, let's just say 10 concepts or ideas at the same time. Or maybe, you know, I've usually said 14, but it was like I started to see multi-layers of prophetic information all at the same moment. It's It's been a real sort of hindrance at time of trying to communicate effectively because we'll be talking about one thing and another thing's in there and another thing's in there and you know you're laying out all these different layers at the same time it can be maybe confusing for an audience or but to me it just makes perfect sense and so there might be you know all these different things happening at the same moment and it all quantifies to me into like these themes that the holy spirit is working out and i've learned to sort of unpack off these themes how the the prophetic work of observation happens and the priestly work of actualization happens next and then the kingly work of implementation starts to unpack itself. And so it started perceiving like this and, and I said, well, Lord, I asked for a revelation of the Trinity and for me, most of it, you know, I thought was kind of intellectual and theological, but next thing you know, I'm getting a real revelation of the Trinity because I'm starting to see from different paradigms and perspectives at the same time. Now, I just want to say this. He can see from every billions of different angles, trillions. I mean, without infinite, infinite in number, he can look through every different aspect of everything perfectly all at the same time without overloading his brain or his ability or his capacity. And so when I'm saying you know, 14 or something like that, <laughs> you know, I don't want you to hear pride in that because that is not an issue like that. I'm, the words into you know, beyond trillions and I, you know, I've just been able to have a small glimpse 
at, at things and profoundly. It profoundly started to shape my understanding. And, and one of the things I wanted to share with you that shaped in me was I realized that we were walking out things chronologically like in time. So usually what we do as people is, uh, every, every one of us will do this, we will walk something out, let's say, uh, an event. And we go through the event. And then after we go through the event, if we have a good friend or someone we love, we like to talk about what happened previously, right? And we like to rehearse that. And we like to go back through it. And what the way that I understood that was uh, that we're moving in chronology and time. And then we like to take a time out and do a history lesson called a parenthetical. So we like to take and say, okay, stop everything right now. We need to have a historical talk about what just happened and reflect on it. So we, again, do something in time, and then we have a reflection. So what we do in time is chronology. Our reflection is called a parenthetical. So we don't take a time out. Do you remember what happened yesterday? Or do you remember how this happened between us? Or do you remember what he or she said? Remember this event that just happened in our culture or whatever? We're doing this all the time. And and so chronology, then the parenthetical. But have you ever noticed that, have you ever been around or in a situation where the chronology and the parenthetical come together in the same experience. Now, I would say, generally speaking, this is what happens to us in worship. It's like chronology and parentheses, the reflection happens at the same moment. And I love these kind of meetings. And if you've ever been in one of these, you'll know what I'm saying. But it's it's when worship is so high and the glory and anointing of the Lord is so high that really what's going on is you're in a chronology and a parenthetical, but get this, it's like another person's in the room because you would describe that experience as an event or did you feel that? Or you talk about God's transcendent power. Do you know, do you know who that is? That's Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. So what's happening is you're experiencing the chronology of the Father, the parenthetical of the Son, and the essence of, of the Holy Spirit. You're experiencing the three persons in one. And when three persons in one comes into your space and convenes into your space, it is one of the most profound events and experiences of your life. And I know that all of you and I, we love those meetings. We, I mean, I want to have a meeting with you right now about it because I, I, I love it when what you know people say, oh my goodness, or whoa, I mean, did you hear that? Oh, I feel moved by the Lord, whatever. It's because there's an event happening and it's not just a meeting anymore. You're having an engagement with the Godhead. So then it spins up this whole atmosphere. And hey, and when this happens to us in a corporate meeting, wow, everybody's getting the chronology, the parenthetical and the essence like another person's in the room. And you can talk about that event like it's its own design. It's because the Lord is three persons in one. So this isn't like, okay, we're going to teach you five, you know, four points and a poem today and do a song or something like that. You know, hey, I think you're probably bored with that, and I am too. I mean, nobody really enjoys that so much. You know, it's like, okay, we got the concept, now let's go home and 
go back to normal life. No, we want to have an event. Well, I'll tell you, he wants to have an event more than we do. He does. He likes it. And so this is this, you know, Trinitarian understanding and this fire that can come into an atmosphere. And so we are able in the spirit to perceive and conceive things at such a greater capacity than probably our intellect can keep up with. And, uh, you know, I've learned from listening to movie producers. I've listened to songwriters, a book, uh, you know, people who publish that this is how we get information. And I just want to like share just one little practical point here, because this is something the word started to teach me is, you know, get Evernote as an app or get you a journal or get you something. And when you go spend time with God and you're just like, okay, I'm going to I'm just going to wait on him. And then he starts to give you something from himself after you've waited and you're quiet. Take those things and write them down. And what you'll notice is the Lord is telling a story. He's really big into storytelling and he's into narrative. And he's really big into the meta narrative and how we all fit together. And you're going to be surprised how all these pieces will start to make sense and come together in your life. But you need to take time and be diligent about your relationship with the Trinity, with the Lord, as he imparts to you understanding and information about that. Now, if that was if that is what the Trinity is about, I, I want to talk about something that is a hindrance to this. And uh, because we're talking today about bringing fire John said, you know, I baptize you with water, but one who is mightier than I, he's coming after me, and he's going to baptize you in the Holy Ghost and with fire. Well, recently, I've been having some experiences with the Lord on this about how and what would be a hindrance to what God is wanting to work out with us in the Spirit. And so I'm in a meeting. This is this is just a number a, a few weeks ago, and the subject that that the Holy Spirit is really like helping me to understand is what it means to get out of the, the way. And I was invited to a meeting with uh, Steve Scrog Senior and John Harris. And before I got there, the Lord's like, you know, when you go in there, I just you know I want you to be quiet. You know, I've been leading meetings for about a decade now, and I just want you to be quiet. I want you to listen. Well, I had opened up this pamphlet that Steve had wrote. It's, it deals with the 12 redemptive names of God. But in it is this packet that deals with angelic encounters and things like that. And I opened up the packet and I, I look down. When I look down, I, I see the words of uh, Judas Iscariot of uh, Kirioth. And I noticed... The, the way Steve had put this in there, that some of the word Kirioth had this name meaning. And it, it immediately struck my attention because one of the names says, uh, it says manly, and then it says to show yourself to be champion of a city. Well, I just, my eyes drilled in on that because about three years ago, I found out what my own name Carol means. And Carol means three different things. It, it means well, just say this kind of humorously, C-A-R-O-L means song of joy. And I just tell people, my name does not mean song of joy. I mean, I don't mind having joy, but that is not 
what my name means. So I years ago, I think either my wife or somebody came up and said, you know what Carol means uh, with two R's and two L's? Well, get this, it means manly. And Well, I was really happy to hear, I was really happy to hear that because, I mean, I'm just like, yeah, I want to be manly and stuff. <laughs> I want to be a man. I didn't want to be like a song of joy. You know? And and then it said champion uh, or fierce warrior. And I was like, yes, you know, dad did name me right. And dad's name's Carol also. And that sounds just like him too. And I was like, yes, Lord, you know, you know champion. And uh, and so now, and I'm, and I'm looking down at this paper and it says manly. Wait a minute, Judas Iscariot from Kirioth means manly and to champion oneself to show oneself to be champion of a city and I'm just like oh no you know oh no so I uh I said well uh really honestly I was struck to the heart you know and I was like Lord I, I want to see your glory come, and I want to see awakenings happen in the city, but this isn't looking good. It looks like I may be the one who may be a hindrance to your work. I don't want to be a hindrance to your work. And, you know, I started to repent, and I just sat there quiet for the whole meeting. It didn't feel too good. But I started to look this up, and I want to, I'm just going to lay this out for you because I had to, like, dig to find this. But, you know, as many as you know, Judas Iscariot betrayed the Lord. And after he did, he, uh, you know, he committed suicide. And, you know, many of the guys betrayed the Lord, but apparently Iscariot just couldn't handle what he had done and, you know, took his own life. I was reading this, and in the New Testament, Iscariot Tos comes from uh, 2469 uh, in Strong's Concordance. But it comes from a, a, a Hebrew origin from the Old Testament number 377 and 7149, and it means the inhabitant of Kiriath, which becomes an epitaph for Judas the traitor Iscariot. So when you, you start to dig into this number 377-749, 377 means to be a man or to act in a manly way. And 7149 means from a city. And and so his effectively this understanding of Kiriath or Judas Iscariot, the epitaph of Judas Iscariot from Kiriath means to show oneself to be a man of a city or to champion the cause in a city. Well, it seemed like that there's a guy that I was reading, he said, I feel like this misses the mark, and I did too, and I thought, well, maybe I can dig even deeper into the word so when I got deeper into the name meaning, I find that there's this uh, other Strong's number, 7151 in the Old Testament. It goes on to say the sense of flooring or a city. And then you get into this word kara in 7136, which comes from earlier on kara, which 7149. And it means, now listen to this, you got to get this because it's going to matter big time. I want you to make this connection. But it means to light upon, to bring about, to impose timbers, to appoint or lay or make beams, befall, bring something to happen, to send good speed. Iscariot basically means to build a city. 
And then I find in this ancient word that's even deeper into 7149, I find that it's a pictograph, is a picture of a sun at the horizon and the gathering of the light. The pictograph is a picture of the head of a man. Combined, these mean together the men. It means this, and I think this is what I, I really, you know, am wanting to bring out here uh, today because I want to show you this. Because I, I really believe that this is really matters uh, about this end time move and the end time work of God. Kiriath basically means, okay, when we say Judas Iscariot from Kiriath, we're saying this is a Judean man because Kiriath was a Judean town, meaning that he has the bloodline of, of kingship inside of himself. This is what his name means. It means to champion gathering men together to bring fire to men's heads in a city or to men's minds. Man, when I put that together, I was like, oh man, he's wanting to champion the cause of an awakening. One of the 12, get this, the one who's going to betray the Lord is a Judean, meaning that has kingship inside of himself to champion a cause to bring fire or to illuminate men's minds for the purpose of city building. And I'm going to tell you, I was immediately struck by this. That sounds like Pentecost. That sounds like the Illuminati. Wait a minute. John said, there's one coming after me that is mightier than I. He will bring the baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire. Let me work this out for you. Anytime you see a son with a man's head, okay, and it is smacking at God or the Lord, you can know that there is a group of people on the earth, and I I believe it's called a new world order, but this is what they were after is illumination. How can we illuminate men's minds? How can we bring forth the sun? How can we bring forth the way we're going to shift cities? How can we bring change? I think y'all probably know some previous administration that has kind of had some pictures like this that was being used. And this brightness in men's mind to bring forth something. And I'm going to tell you, I believe that there, you know, in this hour, you're going to see a, a Melchizedek order come forth and a new world order. And here's the difference. One is going to be baptized in the Holy Ghost and fire, and the other one is going to show themselves to be champion of cities to illuminate man's minds. But their ultimate goal, and this is going to be the Antichrist's ultimate goal, is to place himself in the place of God. What Lucifer has wanted to do all along, he, he wanted to ascend up into the heavens to be like the Most High, it says in uh, Isaiah chapter 14. Judas, a Judean, was poised for Pentecost, but he got himself in the place of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, I, you know, when I was getting this at, that night, I, I was like, Lord, I'm, I'm going to just say this. Who is sufficient for these things? And if you were to mark iniquities, who could stand? I mean, hey, none of us in our our nature can get ourselves out of the way. 
you know, we, we want to tell our story, want to be a part of something. We, we don't even know. We might have a self-worship movement going on inside of ourselves, a, a secret hidden agenda within ourselves. It is going to take you, Lord, to do this. I think the world would say, exactly. Exactly. And I, I realize that my own iniquity is, I mean, is problematic here. And, you know, it just, it really struck me that night. And and before I even knew about the fire in the mind, that next Monday I'm in a worship with the Lord. And I see it in worship. I I see fire burning on the mind of a, of a man standing right in front of me. And didn't even know the information that I just shared with you previously to that about that it would be the illumination of a man's mind. Here's the thing is I hope this is like to conclude this message is first of all, we need a revelation of the Trinity. We need a revelation of God. We need like J. I. Packer to get down on our knees and say, Lord, remove Remove me in the sense of that I would not want to ever bring myself forward. And Lord, get me out get me out of the way. Don't let me be a hindrance to the your glory being released on the earth for uh, for awakening and for me to see my my city or my town changed. Henry and I we were just before this podcast we were in there talking and about Paris Reedhead. Paris had said something years ago that really struck me. And Henry was telling me about a son-in-law and how he was going through this same kind of concept. And he said, Paris Reedhead said that this young man came up to him and he had a pretty phenomenal ministry going on. And uh, Paris had preached a message uh, for his congregation. And the man wanted to know, how do you get power? And, you know, because he's got the programs going, he's got the church going, but man, we need something else. You know, we need, we want to bring power in this. And and Paris says, you know, he told the guy, he's like, well, you got the radio program going, you got all the, pro, all the programs for the church going, you got everything going. You need, I don't, I don't really know that you need God. And he said, uh, he said, he told the young man, he said, I, I'll tell you what, he said, this is what I saw. He said, I saw you driving the car and you, you put the key in the ignition. You cranked up the car and you said, this ministry, I'm going to take this forward for the glory of God. And, and Paris, told, he told the young man, he says, you know, I tell you what, I think you better get in the passenger seat. And he said, and let the Lord drive. And he said, and he didn't say this, I'm going to say this, but you know, it, it just reminded me of like, okay, we, all right, we finally decided we're not going to drive the car. You know, we're not going to control this situation in our life. And we finally decide that God's not my co-pilot. <laughs> and I'm not God's co-pilot. But I, I, I want to be his co-pilot for a while. So we get in the front seat right beside the Lord and we sit up next to him. We like him looking over it all the time because we, we like the way it feels when he gives us some attention. You know, and, we, and, and the Lord's okay with that. And we're looking out the window and we see the vision of God. Because we can see ahead what's coming. And man, we get so excited about the vision and the, how we're going to strategize this thing. And we start to reach over to the Lord and we say, hey, Lord, I think you should probably do it this way. Hey, watch out. We're coming up on a steep hill. And the Lord's like, accelerates the car. 
And you're like, no, Lord. And you go to grab the steering wheel and you're hitting the brake. My dad did this a lot when I was learning to drive. He's hitting the brake on the passenger side, but there's no brake over there. You're slamming your foot in and you're like, no, 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 Lord. I don't want to do it that way. And he's speeding and he drives off the side of this cliff. And somehow he's got this, you know, hydrofoil or something in the car that you didn't know about. And you end up coming floating down nicely on the earth. But you're trying to grab the car and grab the thing and turn the car off and stop the Lord from doing what he wants to do. And then, you know, he's he's doing everything opposite of the way you would drive. And if you've ever been a side seat driver, you know how this is if you've rode with somebody that you don't want to ride with or they're not responding in the way that you want and it tenses you up. You know what I'm talking about. Well, the Lord's like, you know what? Hey, Carol, you better get in the back seat. Because, you know, you you almost wrecked what I was doing there. I'm like, yeah, Lord, I'm pretty beat up now. I think I'm going to get in the backseat. I don't know if my leadership has really worked that much. And, you know, seeing all that stuff that I saw in vision, I think I better better, better get back there. And I'm going to just sit behind you, Lord. I like to look at the back of your head. I mean, that's enough for me. The Lord's like, yeah, I think you better get back there so you don't wreck what I'm trying to do. So you get in the backseat. Well, now your vision's more limited. You're a little bit more beat up. You realize that some of your controls come off and that you just, but you know, you just kind of like a, a word starts to come up on something and uh, he's going up his heel and he's going really slow. And you're like, I don't understand. This is taking forever. You know, I thought we were going to finally get somewhere. You've already flew off the side of a mountain and thankfully we had a way to catch this car before we all crashed and burned and I tried to stop the whole thing but now I'm in the back seat and you're going you're creeping along and I I mean you told me these things were going to happen but I mean Lord it's been 10 years I've been riding back here you haven't done anything you want to reach up there you're going to grab the Lord on his shoulders and massage him and, and say could you please just listen to me you know and the Lord's like, quit doing that. I don't like you touching me like that. <laughs> it's kind of weird. You know, leave me alone. And you're like, and then you just, when he says that, it hurts your feelings so bad, you just kind of want to reach around and grab his neck, you know. You're starting to get mad at him. You know, like, I, I don't understand you. He's like, just, I mean, we've been going up this same road. I think we've got 500 feet, and it's taken 10 years. I mean, is this car even moving? And the Lord said, you know what? I, I think you better get in a trunk. Because, you know, and, and and you say, well, Lord, I I guess you're probably right because I can't stand this. So you get back in the trunk. Now, this is a funny thing. I mean, this is what the mob does. You know, they put people in the back of the trunk to carry them out to the desert and bury them. And I, I think that you get back there and you're like, but Lord, I'm going to suffocate to death back here. And the word's like, you know, I think uh, that might do you some good. The flesh is going to have to die. You know, when you're baptizing the Holy Ghost, that's about the clearest picture I understand. <laughs> it's dark back here, Lord, and I don't know if I can breathe. The flesh is being robbed of all its support system. The word's like, you know, I think you're in the best place you've ever been in. You know, old man needs to be buried. And when we're saying, Lord, baptize me, baptize me in the Holy Spirit and fire, you're literally saying, I'm going to let somebody else completely control me 
for the rest of my days and do with me whatever they want. I'm 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 dead. I'm dead to myself. It's no longer I that live, right? But it's Christ that's living in me. I'm, I'm not living my life in the flesh anymore. I'm living by the Spirit. Hey, you can't stay in the back of a trunk very long before you're going to suffocate to death. And the Lord wants that to be the way because we're a new creature, a new creation where old things have passed away. Behold, all things are come new. And, you know, I, I really think that when you, when we're saying, when, I, when I'm saying to you today that, hey, we're either going to go philosophically one way or the other. You can use theology, but we're going to go one way or the other. We're either going to go in, the, in letting the Lord drive the car or we're going to let him, or we're going to do it ourselves. And and if if you go on with the word up right now, you know what I'm saying. You know, you know exactly what I'm getting at here. That to be baptized in the Holy Spirit of fire is to basically, in effect, say, I'm not in control anymore, and I'm going to let the Lord have His way with me. I'm not going to try to do it in my strength of my own flesh. Now, I want to challenge you today to say, hey, Lord, I need a revelation of the Trinity. But let me tell you, the Trinity, or the Holy Spirit, he's going to bring you and me to the end of what we can do. Because when God works, the way God works, he's, Jesus said, my father's always at work. When he works, it's when we rest. You know, I love this about the gospel is, the gospel is not me trying to do something for God to get God to do something for me. It's God working his life out in us to will and to do his good pleasure. It's not him who wills or him that runs. It's it's up to the Lord. And so when I think when you finally have done all you can do, you, you stand and you wait to see the salvation of the Lord. Let's pray. I remember, Lord, my dad said this so many times, better felt than tell. Remember some of these moments where, man, when it gets dark, when you can't see anymore, when your supply is cut off, that we know that that real supply comes from you and real vision comes from you. Lord, we need so, I mean, so much in this hour to trust you. trust you with our whole heart, our whole mind, to trust you with our strength, to love you, Lord. Lord, awaken us. Awaken us to your still small voice. Awaken us to going farther and farther away from trying to manage things out of our own ability and our own strength. But Lord, help us to have and lean completely on you in full dependence. In your name. We pray. Amen.
And our eyes have been opened. 